0: Well, every blessing to you all, and welcome back to my open-air pulpit. It is minus two degrees Celsius. It's the coldest so far this year. But I wanted to come up anyway and continue, Lord willing, looking at the subject of the Trinity. And for this morning, if we may, let's begin in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 26, if you will. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So you've got really one of three views. You either the whole to the Trinitarian view, which teaches quite simply there are three distinct and divine persons, the Father, the Son and the Spirit, who would create the universe, mankind, and they would begin with... Vegetation, followed by the animals, and then finally, mankind. For the New Testament, the Father, Son and Spirit all came together and, if you will, anointed the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ, would convict mankind of their sins, then regenerate those that would repent, those that would turn to the triune God in faith. The second view is what is referred to as the modalist, oneness, Jesus-only position, which simply means this, that God is one person, and this one person manifests himself on occasions as the Son, the Spirit, and sometimes the Father. And the third view is the plural of majesty, the plurality of majesty, which simply means this, that God is speaking in a plural sense, if you think of modern queens, modern kings, any monarch in recent years, decades or centuries, if you are invited to an audience with the Queen of England, for example, she will say, welcome, we are very pleased uh, to have you here. And she speaks in the third person. But of course, she's speaking to a room full of people. She's speaking to a room full of her peers. Her Prime Minister may be there, the Foreign Secretary, the Home Secretary, the, the uh, Defence Secretary, or the Chancellor foreign dignitaries ambassadors you are not speaking to herself and yet when people look at this piece of scripture they say well the lord is speaking either to himself going back to the oneness position or he's speaking in the sense of the plurality of majesty on top of that they say this well he's speaking to the angels that somehow the angels are able to assist him now as far as i know and i've been through the word of God many times over the last 17 years I can't think of any passage where an angel or angels had the power to create life I know from Revelation chapter 13 during the tribulation the antichrist gives life to the image of the beast but of course that's done based on the permissive will of almighty God so if you have got this one person God which the Jews hold to, and the Muslims, and the Modalists, and the Oneness, and the Jesus-only people, why would he need to consult angels, who were also created in time? I might add, there is nothing in Scripture to suggest that angels are eternal beings. They too would have been created during the creation week. Now he may say this, he may say, well, as he refers to the seraphims, and the uh, cherubims, another angelic form of, of uh, beings, observe me, perhaps observe me as i create mankind but look at it again and god said let us make man in our image after our likeness so if he's speaking to the angels how can these created beings far inferior to jehovah god assist him in creating mankind at best they are observers at best they are ambassadors like paul says we are from Second Corinthians chapter five, ambassadors of Christ, or for the Old Testament, ambassadors of Jehovah. And God said. Now, of course, God, in Hebrew, is Elohim, and Elohim can be singular and can also be plural. And if you go back to Genesis one one, it says, "In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth." And you could quite easily translate God from Genesis one one to be gods. Of course, there are problems with that if you translate it gods. In the plural, you have the belief, the teaching of many gods. You become tritheist, or polytheist. And of course, the, the word of God says there's only one eternal God. And God said, Elohim said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. The modalist position says this. Well, God is three parts. And part one is speaking to part two. And part two is speaking to part three. And they get that from First Thessalonians chapter 5 where mankind certainly is a body a soul and a spirit there are three parts to me there are three parts to you but i'm one person so to say god is three parts is problematic now let me say this yes it is plausible that if god wanted to he could be three parts and not three persons but it's not probable and it's not probable because the word of god doesn't tell us that the word of god says that the Father is a person not a part and so too is the son and so too is the Spirit. and god said elohim said let us make man in our image after our likeness so as far as i'm concerned the father and the son are speaking and they decided at a point i won't say in time because time didn't exist until the lord said let there be light but at the time of the lord's choosing father son and spirit three divine distinct persons they decided to create the universe like I say and they would begin with animals and then finally mankind and therefore the father the son and the spirit are speaking and of course at this point in time time has begun and God said Elohim said Jehovah God said Jehovah Father Jehovah Son Jehovah Holy Ghost and God said let us make man in our image after our likeness now angels Yes, are very powerful beings, <coughs> beautiful creations of Almighty God. But again, I can't vis- visage and I can't comprehend how an angel or, 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 or angels would be able to assist an all-powerful, eternal God in the creation of mankind. At best, if they were present, and I'm not ruling it out, if they were present around this time in the creation week, at best, they are observers They are ambassadors simply watching almighty God at work. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So mankind in the context, it's going to be Adam, of course, is going to have dominion over the livestock, the air, and the earth in general, and of course Adam later on, later on would name the animals that was the authority that he had because he was made in the image, in the likeness of God. And let me say this, when it comes to image, when it comes to likeness, many times we all think that well, perhaps we are made in a physical resemblance to the Lord, well of course that is problematic. Now I will say this, it is possible that we bear some physical resemblance to a mighty God, like we can see, like we can hear, like we can speak, like we can touch, like we can taste, like we can feel. We have emotions. Almighty God has emotions. The Father, Son and Spirits enjoy a communicable uh, ability, and so too does mankind. Animals, for the most part, don't communicate through audible voices, but they mainly communicate through audible noises. But it's my belief, ultimately, when it speaks about lightness and image, it's really speaking about goodness, righteousness, holiness, being able to reflect the goodness of Almighty God. I don't believe that mankind is a replica, is a duplication of Almighty God. God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Around this point in the creation week, the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God, doesn't yet have a body. Hebrews chapter 10, which we looked at some weeks ago, speaks about, at a point in time, the Father gave the Word a body. And, of course, that body was presented at the Incarnation, obviously. So, I don't believe, at this point in time, the Father has a body, nor the Son, nor the Spirit. Now, we are accused, those of us which are Trinitarian, of holding to the Trinity, having three bodies three souls and three spirits. Of course, that is a misrepresentation. I don't know any Trinitarian who holds to that. And I challenge anybody that attacks the Trinity to come up with evidence. Show us anyone anywhere, at any time, who's ever said that the Father has a body, soul and spirit, that the Holy Ghost has a body, soul and spirit, and the Son of God, at this point in time, having a body, soul and spirit. At time, in time, during time, the Lord Jesus Christ will be given a body, and at that time he becomes a three-part being he's one person with three parts but to say that mankind with a body a soul and a spirit is somehow a reflection of almighty god is difficult and dangerous and i think disastrous to uh contemplate look at verse 27 so god created man in his own image in the image of god created he him male and female created he them so the father son and spirit would work together creating the universe, John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Job 26, and many other passages throughout the entire Bible. The subject of the Trinity remains a very controversial one, and in some senses and in some cases it is a mystery. A bit like the Church, a bit like the Rapture. It's a mystery. And uh, if you come across anti-Trinitarians that run to the Old Testament time after time, trying to find the Trinity, or trying to overthrow the Trinity, let me say this to you, that the Trinity Strictly speaking, is a New Testament revelation. The Trinity was revealed to the Church. In the Old Testament, there are veiled references to the Trinity. In fact, here's a little thought for you. And if you don't believe me, check it for yourself. So if you go online, or if you go onto any online Bible search engine, just type in the Holy Ghost. You won't find anything coming up, or God the Father. And again, you won't find anything coming up. You'll find the Holy Spirit five or six times in the old testament like daniel and isaiah but the holy ghost of course is the holy spirit don't get me wrong but the holy ghost the description the term the title the holy ghost is only found in the new testament and so too is god the father and the word of god picturing the lord jesus christ is only found in the new testament yes you have the son of god mentioned several times in the old testament like a christophany a theophany A pre-incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet you have the Son of Man from the book of Numbers. They are all references. They are all types and shadows. They are all prophecies, predictions, revelations about the future Messiah that would come. Look at 28. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth so it's my belief that god being elohim can be uh, can be translated in a singular sense and a plural sense but let's stick with the singular translation like god in a singular sense one god in the sense of unity not oneness or singleness an almighty god being elohim being jehovah god being yahweh being adonai being Kulios, these are all titles for the one true god is just that one god but three distinct and divine persons. The plurality of majesty is very difficult to really comprehend. When the Queen walked into the room, or any monarch anywhere, going back however many years you wish to think about, there's always people present. She's not speaking to herself. And therefore, if God is on his own, back in Genesis 1.26, let's exclude the angels for one moment. Why is he speaking to himself? Why is part one speaking to part two, and then speaking to part three? That would be somewhat concerning. And if the angels are present, and they probably are, doesn't it make more sense that the triune God is present and are speaking to themselves, and yes, outside, or in the same room, or in the near proximity, if you will, the angels may be present. We are told how the angels are very interested in the church. We know from the book of Revelation there are seven churches, seven angels. We know from First Corinthians 11 and first timothy chapter four or five from memory how the angels are very interested in women and that's why women are told to wear a head covering during the breaking of bread so it is fair to say the angels may well have been present as observers ambassadors but to go beyond that and teach us somehow they were assisting jehovah god is problematic look at 26 again and god said triune god let us make man in our image after our likeness now again in a limited sense mankind has a basic resemblance to almighty god but to go beyond that and to say that because man is a three part being from first thessalonians chapter 5 that god too must be a three part being is problematic god almighty is a three person being father son and spirit but one god so therefore goodness likeness resemblance is limited and this is the problem that many people get into they try and visualize (coughs) what almighty god looks like and if you think of some of the famous artists over the last four or five centuries they've all taken a stab at trying to depict almighty god And that's one of the reasons why the lord wouldn't allow the jews to see him moses got a glimpse of the lord and when the lord jesus christ arrived the writers of the four gospels were very careful deliberately intentionally not to tell you what the lord jesus christ looked like because lo and behold what people do they will start to paint him start to take a chance take a guess what they think the lord jesus christ looked like and i've been guilty of this over the years i've had my own mental picture of what he looked like i wouldn't dare want to i wouldn't dare say it on camera I wouldn't dare share my thoughts because I'd be guilty of, in some ways, visualising the invisible God with my limited and finite uh, mind. And I am going want to be guilty of picturing the Lord in a crude sense. I would just say this, that Almighty God is just that, almighty or powerful, everywhere at the same time, can read people's thoughts, minds and hearts, doesn't need the angels to do anything for him, doesn't need mankind to do anything for him. By the grace of God, He allows us to serve Him. By the grace of God, He allows angels, cherubims, seraphims to serve Him. But He doesn't need anyone or anything. For all of eternity, it was just the Father, the Word and the Holy Ghost. Didn't need anyone or anything then. And then, at a time of the Lord's choosing, it was decided to create the universe. Like I say, the animals were then created, after the vegetation of course, followed by mankind so Adam is made in the image of God, Adam has God's likeness he reflects the Lord to some extent in a very limited sense you understand he's a moral being he has a conscience he knows right from wrong of course up until this point in the life of Adam he hadn't yet sinned sin hadn't yet come into the world so we have to be careful when we say that Adam knew right from wrong yes he certainly did but he hadn't yet been tested but to say that Adam was a three-part being as God is A three part being as problematic. Go to Hebrews chapter 3, please. Hebrews chapter 3. I do appreciate that this is a difficult subject for a lot of people to uh, get a grasp on and uh, to understand. And we're all learning, let's be quite honest about this. We are all learning. There isn't one Bible preacher or teacher throughout the history of the church that has got everything right. We all learn from each other, we've all made mistakes. I know in the past I've made mistakes. When I've got to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is something which is prevalent in Biblical circles. The point is we have to learn from our mistakes. We have to be bold enough and big enough to say, yes, I got this wrong, or I got that wrong, and put our hands up to it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, look at verse 7 please. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. So the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, same person, the Spirit of the Lord, has different titles, like the Lord Jesus Christ, being Emmanuel, being the Word of God, and God the Father, El Shaddai. They all have different titles, one God, but different titles. And here the Holy Ghost speaks in verse 7. Going back to the Holy Ghost being a person, not a part. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, the Holy Spirit saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. The Holy Ghost is speaking, and he is deity. Acts chapter 5, you've got a couple of Christians who are Keeping back some of their money and lying to Simon Peter. And he challenges them and he says this to them You haven't lied to men, you've lied to God. And in the context of Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 5, from memory, the Holy Ghost is in the context because the Holy Ghost is, of course, God. Fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works 40 years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their hearts. And they have not known my ways. The Holy Ghost is speaking. You can grieve Him, you can quench Him, you can lie to Him. Going back to Acts chapter five, and here He is speaking, <clears throat> and it's going back to the Old Testament. It's concerning Jehovah's relationship with the Jews. They were saved by their faith in Jehovah. Hebrews 11:6 says, "You have to believe that God is God. Uh, God is God, and you have to diligently search for Him." And then after you have searched for him, and found him, then you are expected to live a particular way. You are saved unto good works, Ephesians 2.10. Same will be true of the Jews back in the Old Testament. They were saved by their faith in Jehovah alone, and then their works followed their faith. That's what the epistle of James is all about. And again, there's no works when it comes to a person's salvation, whether in the Old Testament, the church age, or the tribulation, or even in the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mankind is is, uh, unable to offer the Lord anything when it comes to his or her salvation, going back to the creation account. Angels are very limited. Yes, they came, and they appeared on the earth, and they were very uh, involved in the creation of Solomon and Gomorrah. And yes, I think on one occasion, Elijah was able to destroy many people, thanks to an angel from memory. Uh... 100,000 people, well, maybe slightly off with that figure, but angels have been involved many times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. They would help Peter to escape from house arrest. Verse 11 So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. My rest. Tempted me, proved me. Me, me, me. The Holy Ghost is speaking because he is a person. Look at verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil hearts of unbelief in departing from the living God. That, of course, is the main theme. The main theme from the book of Hebrews. The main theme, of course, is to stay with the Son of God, to stay with the Saviour. Don't go back to the Old Testament. Don't go back to the law. Don't try and justify yourself by keeping the law. The law is against you. The Lord is like a schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. It's like once you graduate from college or school, once you graduate from university, you don't go back to university again, do you? Or college again or school again. Once you pass your driving test, you don't go back to have more lessons, do you? Well, of course you don't. You've now qualified. You've got your degree or your diploma or your GCSEs or your driving license. You are now a qualified person. It's now time to go into the real world. And that's what salvation is all about. The law is to break you down. The law is to show you that you're no good. That you cannot save yourself. And once you get that, you turn to the Saviour in faith. And he saves you. Seven again, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, third member of the Trinity, saith, says, today, in time, if ye will hear his voice, almost similar to the call of salvation today, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation They had free will, we too have free will that is also under attack by many people today In the day of temptation in the wilderness When your fathers tempted me, prove me And saw my works forty years They saw the Lord at work, day and night a cloud Or a fire would go uh, before them And they would follow the cloud or the fire (coughs) Excuse me And he was feeding them, sustaining them taking care of them, like the Lord Jesus Christ would take care of his apostles, and feed 5,000, 4,000. Jesus Christ has always been very busy, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. And yet, in the Old Testament, they were griping, attacking Moses verbally, calling on him to do this or do that. There were mutinies in the camps. His own brethren turned against him. And it's interesting, if you think of uh, Numbers chapter 20, how Miriam dies at the beginning of that chapter and Aaron dies at the end the brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ who against him attacking him so it's the same old story it's the same old dance we want this we want that we want to go back to Egypt we want to enjoy the onions the garlic the leeks the cucumbers this and that we were very happy back in Egypt well they were to some extent and of course sin is contagious sin is like junk food it's nice isn't it of course it is but you pay the consequences later, don't you? Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Now the term grieved goes back to how you can grieve the Holy Ghost. And here he said, he said just that, how he was grieved with that generation elsewhere in the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 6. The Lord said it repented him that he made men, on the face of the earth. These are terms to denote man's and God's understanding, what words mean. Anthropomorphical is the term used to denote God speaking in a particular way that we can understand. Like when it says, my heart is broken, well of course you know that God Almighty doesn't have a literal heart that beats like our heart does. When it says he was very emotional, he was, he was grieved in the heart, you know that his, his ultimate meaning isn't that his heart was broken, like when you get love sick, or somebody breaks up with you, or you lose a child, and you're crying like a baby, and you're you know, really uh, depressed and broken. God doesn't have that kind of a reaction. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows that you will fall before you fell. He obviously knew that Adam would fall before he fell. The term is used, or the description is used, concerning grief here, and repentance, back in Genesis chapter 6, and elsewhere, to denote that the Lord has feelings emotions, as does mankind. Again, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. We reflect the Lord in a very limited sense. Animals haven't got that. I'm not even sure angels really have that either. But man does. If you want, man is the highest form of creation in the entire universe. Of course, God hasn't been created. God is a non-created being. So we've got to be careful when we use terms like grieved or saddened, mournful or this or that. Almighty God doesn't have a literal heart that beats like ours does. Of course, Jesus Christ would have a literal heart. He would literally weep over Jerusalem. He'd be, hang- he'd be uh, angry. He'd be hungry. He'd be happy. He'd be uh, sad. He'd be sweating blood. That's a literal account of a literal man. But here we are way beyond, or way before, I should say, way before the incarnation. We are thousands of years back so i swore so i swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my arrest go to chapter nine please uh chapter nine the bible is a very basic book in some sense it's a common sense book you need to have common sense when you read it when you exegete it a lot of people approach the bible and sometimes struggle with the bible and they force the Bible to either contradict itself, which is what all the false religions do, or they spiritualize the book, which is what a lot of churches do, and in the result they miss out on a great blessing. But it's basically common sense. God is holy, God is God, God is good, God is righteous, God is holy, God is eternal, God is just, God is good, God is merciful and some of those attributes we have as well some of them especially after we are saved when we get saved we have a very super sensitive spirit we are very conscious of our shortcomings our faults our faults and our needs to be forgiven to receive the mercy of the Lord look at verse 7 please but into the second went the high priest alone once every year not without blood which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people, the Holy Ghost, this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure, for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, that could not make him, that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks, and diverse washings, and carnal ordinances, Impose on them until the time of reformation. So for the Old Testament priest, he was very busy, like day and night, slaughtering animals, and their blood was shed to cover the sins of the children of Israel. It couldn't forgive their sins, it couldn't take away their sins, they were simply covered. And they went into the ground, Luke 16, 19-31, when they died of course, and they waited... In Abraham's bosom for the Saviour to come, to die on the cross, to go down, and to release them, and take them back up to glory. And of course, you know, when he went into the grounds, 1 Peter chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 2, he preached to the demons, the devils, made a show of them, and he pretty much declared victory over them and the righteous dead in abraham's bosom were then scooped up and taken to glory the holy ghost verse 8 this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing which was a figure a type a shadow for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect like complete as pertaining to the conscience, every year the conscience would renew, would come back to memory, last year I did this, last year I did that, I'm still thinking about sins from five or six, seven or eight, nine or ten years ago, and that would continue, right up until the Lord arrived, and when John saw him he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world, whispered only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them, until the time of reformation, the time of reformation, like the first advent. From the conception to the crucifixion of Christ, the atonement was covered, it was dealt with. The boy, the baby, the newborn babe was born to die, wrapped with swaddling clothes to cover him. Sort of thing you wrap a mummy in, a corpse in, he came to die for the sins of the world. And that is also under attack. But again, the Holy Ghost is very vocal, has lots to say, and is quoted time after time. Look at 10.10. By the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are saved once and for all. One birth, one Lord, one baptism, one creation, one resurrection, one crucifixion, one Lord, one baptism, one rapture one second coming one book one 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 by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all the church of rome don't like that they believe that the priest has the ability the power to bring jesus down from heaven and crucify him afresh of course in a non-bloody sense you understand and every time the priest brings jesus down from heaven i mean that's power isn't it like a sorcerer, like a magician, every time he brings them down from heaven, they ring the bell, and the Catholics go down on their knees. And I used to serve Mass many years ago, and I used to ring the bell two or three times from memory, <coughs> because the priest is now going to consecrate the wafer into the body. And up until recent years, the wine wasn't given to parishioners, only the priest would drink of the wine. Of course, certain Masses You could drink of the wine and also the bread. I think now it's pretty much a standard thing to uh, partake of the bread, which they believe is a literal body, and the wine, which they believe is a uh, literal, or they believe is a literal blood of Christ. Jump down to verse 15, please. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that, he had said before, This is a covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, will I write them. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now in the first reference to this, or the first application for this, it has a double application, you understand. This will lead into the tribulation. But before it goes into the tribulation, it will also cover the millennial reign. But always go back to this audience. Who's hearing it? Who's this being written to? Be written to saved Jews, Hebrews. Now I'm not going to say that Hebrews has no application to the church today. I'm not going to say that. There's a lot of good stuff in Hebrews. And I was very privileged. Uh, to go through the book of Hebrews. Verse by verse. Maybe six or seven years ago. A lot of good stuff in Hebrews. But if you think of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 2 for memory. You have the Jew. The church. And the Gentile. Like the world system. You've got three groups of people. And no. They're not a picture. Or that's not a picture of the Trinity. Let's not stretch it. Sometimes Trinitarians will, will, will attempt to stretch things. Like they'll say there's an Earth, there's a Moon and a Sun. Picture the Trinity. No, that doesn't work. The Earth, the Moon and the Sun are three separate, uh, three separate creations, of course, but they don't picture the Trinity. You can't picture the Trinity. You can't find comparisons with the, with, the, with the Trinity. Every time people try to find a comparison with the Trinity, they fall flat on their face. You can't blame people for trying. We have brains, we have intellectual ability to do this or to do that. Again, going back to being made in the image of the Lord, having his likeness. Mankind, for the most part, is very intellectual, can communicate, can learn multiple languages, can do all sorts of wonderful things. But we don't want to get carried away and try and look at created aspects in society or in the world system, like the sun, the moon, and the earth, and say, so that's a picture of the Trinity, because it is not. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, a verse 15, wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. How can a part be a witness? How can a part testify? But a person can. Put my laws into their hearts and their minds. Will I write them personal pronouns? And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That's a great verse, also in reference to the church age. When you get born again, if you are born again, the Lord gives you imputation. He gives you his son's sinless perfection. A switch takes place. Your sins were left on the Lord, on the cross, and his goodness was transferred to you. We call that imputation. Imputation. So if you are saved, your bad old days, if you will, your sins, all of your crimes against the Lord were dealt with at Calvary. Go to Acts chapter 8, please. Acts uh, chapter 8. But for today, the main focus is, of course, on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. We looked at a lot of material concerning the Father, And the son, in my next video, Lord willing, we'll be looking at the son on his own, as his own unique person. Acts chapter 8, look at verse 26, please. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. The angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. Now go back to the Old Testament. Every time the angel of the lord would appear you are looking at deity the angel definitive article the angel of the lord on one occasion jacob got into a wrestling match with an angel and that went on all night and later on he was made aware that he had seen almighty god the lord jesus christ if you think of when samuel's uh, samuel's parents were wanting a child an angel was sent to visit them Again, the angel of the Lord. Sometimes the angel is referred to as an angel. An angel of the Lord. But when it says the angel of the Lord, you're dealing with deity. And the angel of the Lord said unto Philip, Spake unto Philip. spoke unto Philip. He can speak. He can see. He can hear. In a sense, angels also have a resemblance to a mighty God. But again, in a limited sense saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. So, Angel of the Lord, for the Old Testament, it's got to be the Lord Jesus Christ, I would suggest. Jump over to verse 29. Then the Spirit, capital S, said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. So, a switch has taken place, I would suggest. Now, the Angel of the Lord post the death, burial, and resurrection, and of course the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord seems to now be the Holy Ghost. They've had a switch of office. This is no problem for a Trinitarian. Now for oneness, or a modalist, or a Jesus-only person, this causes confusion. Or they will say this, well the parts are now changing. Well, again, if you want to get into parts, you have to deal with basic English, Hebrew, and Greek grammar. If God is three parts, it will be found in Scripture. Every time the Son, the Father, or the Spirit are mentioned in the Word of God, they get three personal masculine pronouns, denoting people, not parts. Spirit, Holy Ghost, said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Go to Matthew 28, please. There is snow in the air. I can feel it we've been pretty blessed to have had a rather mild winter so far when I was growing up November December were cold months nearly always we'd get snow or very freezing weather in the evenings now it seems to be January February time that snow comes and I'm going to guess that snow is on the way today Matthew 28 Matthew 28, look at verse 1, please. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And of course, for the Jews, Sabbath, the Sabbath was given to them to observe. It was mandatory for the day the church meet on Sundays. It's not mandatory, but we do so to break bread, to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And here, he's come up out of the tomb, end of the sabbath late saturday early sunday morning as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week for the jews sunday is the first day of the week for the gentiles monday is the first day of the week for us and also be mindful of this how the jews start their day or count their day measure their day from the evening into the morning whereas we go from the morning into the afternoon and behold verse 2 there was a great earthquake for the angel Of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it to allow the Apostles in not to allow the Lord Jesus Christ out angel of the Lord came from heaven it's my belief that the angel of the Lord for this dispensation is the Holy Ghost like I say a switch has taken place his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow and for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men so the angel of the lord is obviously witnessed uh seen with a physical uh form in a physical form he's seen as a man go back to the old testament the angel of the lord always appears as a man jesus christ is a man But God the Father, as far as I'm aware, looking at both Testaments many times over the last 17 years, hasn't yet taken on human form. In other words, nobody has seen the Father as such. Now in eternity, especially Matthew chapter 5, we will see the Father. It says uh, those that are pure in heart will see God. And I take that to be in reference to the Father. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know what what he's going to look like. I've got no idea. I wouldn't even want to guess. But we will see the Father. But here the angel of the Lord if it's the holy ghost and i believe it is uh looks like a man his uh raiment is white as snow and for fear of him the keepers shake and became as dead men his countenance was like lightning very similar to daniel and uh, when they see him the roman soldiers the best in rome they shook and became as dead men like they froze froze with fear so we could say this that the angel of the lord for this occasion took on human form or angelic form to be more precise would look like a man would be seen as a man people that saw the angel of the lord would think that it was a man maybe 33 years of age i don't know i don't go beyond that but what i do know and i find very interesting is how the angel of the lord is almost pictured as what god is pictured like the book of daniel but to go beyond that and say that the angel of the lord has a body soul and spirit is problematic because god is spirit and those that worship god must worship him in spirit and in truth go to second peter please second peter chapter two and with the wind chill it feels like minus three 2nd peter chapter 2 look at verse 19 we have also a more sure word of prophecy Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day start arise in your hearts knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the role of the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament would be to anoint priests, prophets and kings for the New Testament. He will anoint the writers of the New Testament to write the New Testament. He will come inside those of us which are saved and regenerate us. It's his job to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. And here, looking at verse 20 again, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, the Scripture defines the Scripture. The Scripture interprets the Scripture. Old Testament prophets came together, they were inspired by the Holy Ghost. New Testament writers came together, they were inspired by the Holy Ghost. He told them what to write, the style that they wrote in, was down to them. They had their own personalities, a bit like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But what they wrote came from the Holy Ghost. He inspired them, of course. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Very similar to John chapter 1, concerning the new birth. Mankind doesn't will to be saved. Mankind isn't saved by this or that uh, source. Mankind, according to John chapter 1, is saved by the will of God. In other words, the source, the source of the new birth, comes from heaven, comes from the Triune God, and here it's the same sort of a thing. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man; they weren't speaking off their own backs, but holy men of God spake, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They weren't holy, in and of themselves; they were holy because they had faith in the Lord, were saved and because they were holy people in the sense of having a relationship with the lord walking with the lord being consecrated remaining in fellowship with the lord which people today should be doing paul speaks about the church as being saints in the eyes of the lord some of us are more holier than others some of us are more consecrated than others but they weren't holy in themselves but holy men of god spake spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit come together to create the universe. Uh, Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28. They work together in the creation of such. Uh, John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, also Hebrews chapter 1, and uh, Job 26, and multiple other places in the Bible. But here the Holy Ghost has been given the task, if you will, to anoint the writers of the Old and the New Testament. Go to John chapter 5 please. John chapter 5. If you think of a typical football match it runs 90 minutes. You have two halves. The first half is uh, 45 minutes. You have a break and the second and final half is 45 minutes. And after 90 minutes the referee blows the whistle. That's a great picture of the bible for example the first half of a football match is a good picture of the old testament 39 books the break at the end of the first half is what 15 minutes so that's the silence the time where nobody spoke from malachi to uh, matthew and from matthew to the end of revelation is the second half the last 45 minutes and then the referee a picture of god almighty blows the whistle and that's the end of the match 1 John chapter 5, 1 John uh, chapter 5. Look at verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. This goes back to the Father being a person, and the Son being a person. I don't know why so many people are getting all messed up on Jesus Christ being God the Father, It says how god was in christ to reconcile the world unto himself it says how the holy ghost came upon the lord jesus christ that's the uh, the unpardonable sin which uh, mark chapter 3 speaks about but jesus christ was never god the father this is basic bible this is the sort of stuff that you learn at uh, at, uh, sunday school when you were a child god is a father he has his own son the holy ghost comes on mary She falls pregnant and gives birth to the Son of God. Jesus Christ is not God the Father. He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. Romans chapter 8, the just shall live by faith, saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, rejected for not believing on the Son of God. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record, the account that God gave of his Son. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. The Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. Three distinct and divine persons. This is so critical to get clear in one's mind. This is basic Bible, basic stuff, which many of you went to, or many of you learnt when you went to Sunday school. I never went to Sunday school. I was a Catholic, and Catholics don't have uh, Sunday school. The first time I looked at the Bible was probably 17 years ago. I missed out on all of that growing up. But some of you Protestants, some of you Christians, who went through that, through that system and had Sunday schools and learnt all the hymns, which as Catholics we didn't learn, and had all the Bible lessons given to you, which as Catholics we didn't get, some of you people got an advantage over someone like myself. And you know, don't you, that the Father... Has a son, his only begotten Son, and the Spirit comes via the Father to convict the world of sin, and to testify concerning the Son. This is basic stuff. Verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you have the Son, you are saved. If you don't have the Son, you're not saved. It's as simple as that. It's a relationship. It's a simple relationship. You take him by the hand, he takes you by the hand, you are saved and kept saved. He that hath the Son, present tense, hath life, everlasting life right now. And he that hath not the Son of God, hath not life, is lost, and is on his way to hell. Look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him, is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God, and eternal life. What a wonderful verse to point to, to show the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, I will break fellowship with people that don't hold to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, I will break fellowship with those that are anti-Trinitarian, those that are attacking the Trinity, I'm not going to say that all of those people that are against the Trinity are unsaved, are all hell-bound, lost sinners, but I will say this, that some of those people have probably had a fellowship with the Lord. And we know that the Son of God is come, not God the Father, Son of God, and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him, that is true. And we are in Him, that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God, and eternal life, El Gabor, the mighty God, the Father and I are one, El Shaddai, El Gabor, Elohim, Jehovah, Yahweh, Adonai, one God, but many different titles, go to Jude, Jude, Jude. 20 but ye beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith praying in the holy ghost keep yourselves in the love of god looking for the mercy of our lord jesus christ unto eternal life father son and spirit found over that tiny little book which nobody reads the book of jude But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. He's inside of you, as is the Father and the Son. Keep yourselves in the love of God, being the Father, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking for the rapture, listening for a sound, a calling. We don't look for the Antichrist. We're not looking for the mark of the beast or the antichrist, or the false prophets, or the dragon. We are looking for the Son, the Son of God, not the Son of Satan. 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Another wonderful verse to go to to complete this video look at 24 again now unto him that is able to keep you from falling like once saved always saved and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy like the judgment seat of Christ to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and ever amen one God but found over in The uh, the Old Testament, Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, to be three distinct and divine persons. Not three parts, three persons. They have their own personalities. They all work together in union, in harmony, to keep this universe working, functioning. They allow mankind to continue to be born, to repopulate, to replenish the earth. (coughs) have authority over the animal world, to be custodians of the earth. And by the mercy of God, he allows those of us which are saved to remain on the earth, preaching, getting people saved, trying to honour him, trying to reflect his goodness, his glory, his majesty. That's really what it comes down to, as far as I'm concerned. What it really comes down to is those of us which are saved are trying to reflect him in the sense of being moral beings we know right from wrong we try to honor him we try to reflect almighty god as a moral holy and just being and that's why it's always wonderful when people show mercy and compassion to their fellow man whether saved or unsaved because god is very moral very merciful long-suffering not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance so i think for now you've had enough concerning the holy ghost how he works what he does he is a person he is a person in matthew 28 he would appear in physical form his image his countenance was very similar to that found over in the book of daniel concerning the almighty the ancient of days but for the majority of times in the word of god where the angel of the lord would appear It's a Christophany, a Theophany, the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of Matthew 28, to the best of my knowledge, from memory, the angel of the Lord, when he would appear as the Holy Ghost, appears in an audible sense. Speaking to Philip from Acts chapter 8, but Matthew 28, he would appear in physical form, to really shake up the Roman soldiers, to put the fear of God into them. And also that is a great story and a great account from Matthew 28 to show that the Lord had obviously received the sacrifice concerning the Lord Jesus Christ sits on the stone rolls it away picturing victory it took a group of men to roll the stone up to the uh, mouth of the tomb to stop anybody getting in or getting out and it took one angel to roll it away And of course the angel is the Holy Ghost is deity The Holy Ghost is sovereign. He can be everywhere at the same time, read your thoughts and also be able to assist the Father and the Son in the creation of the world. As far as I'm concerned, the plurality of majesty doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, If God is speaking to himself back in Genesis chapter 1, excluding the angels being present, that is of a concern Uh, and that that should be of a concern to most of us. Now also keep this in mind if you're not a, a trinitarian and if you are a oneness or let's say you are a jew or a muslim they say this that god is one person not three parts not three persons obviously but one person and the jews have a difficult time exegeting genesis 1 26 27 28 adequately because they believe that god is one person and they say well he's either speaking to himself which they won't want to say publicly or you're speaking to the angels? But they can't explain how angels can assist the Lord in the creation of mankind. Like I said over 50 minutes ago or so, they can observe, be an ambassador or so, but they can't create. They can't assist the Lord or they can't uh, create life. They haven't got the ability to give life to anyone or anything. That's not found in any parts of the scripture. Three parts, speaking to each other, Yes, it's, it's uh, plausible, but it isn't probable, because it's not found in the Word of God. You're speculating. But that's a view you hold to. As far as I am aware and concerned, and I will say this one last time for, the, uh, for this morning, the only thing that makes any sense to me is the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. All speaking together, or having a meeting, deciding to now put man on the face of the earth, but on top of that, to create man in their own image. Again reflecting their rational being, their moral understanding, and their goodness, mercy, long-suffering, compassion, so on and so forth. And that's what mankind has. Although many of us have seen it being suppressed in recent centuries. World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, the Gulf Wars, ISIS, uh and problems around the world man's inhumanity to mankind but they will be judged for that because they too have been made in the image of God they have a conscience they know right from wrong and yet unfortunately for many of them they suppress it in unrighteousness, and as a result they will perish and suffer terribly when they die and of course if they turn to the Lord in faith they will be saved but most won't most will die as they lived lost and on that very negative statement, I will sign out and wish you every your blessing. Peace and joy in the great name of our Father, Son and Holy Ghost. Amen and amen.